Hello, 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 everyone. Uh, this is another episode of the Ascent Podcast, a live video conversation where we get to know the human being behind some of the top leaders in tech. My name is Andrew Tarvin, your host and MC, and I'm excited because today we're going to be talking to Chris Rudigrep, the CEO and co-founder of Sendoso. But first, a few quick announcements. If you are joining us live, we are streaming out to LinkedIn and Facebook uh, and uh, YouTube as well, uh, and LinkedIn kind of coming up in the future. But as we're chatting, feel free to make comments in the chat, uh, share any ideas that resonate with you, thoughts that you're like, oh, this is something that I wanna take away with me. And of course, feel free to share any questions that you have, and we may do a audience Q&A section a little bit later. Uh, if you are listening to this as a traditional pet podcast, well, then all you have to do is sit back and enjoy the wonderful sounds coming to your ears. I'm particularly excited for today's guest uh, because uh, not only uh, is he the CEO of a fantastic company, but also a really fascinating person, at least based on the research that I've been doing so far. So I'm excited to get to know him as a human being. Uh, our guest today is Chris Rudigrep who is the CEO and co-founder of Sendoso, uh, which is the leading sending platform. Chris has more than a decade of sales experience and has spent time at TalkDesk, Gapstone, and Pecora. He is a California native uh, and CSU Chico alum, currently residing in the Bay Area. And according to his LinkedIn profile, back in his university days, he played intramural soccer and football. So of course, you got to find out what positions. Uh, but please welcome to your eyes and ears, Chris Rudigrep. Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Excited to be here. Yeah. Well, so I've got to start uh, for intramural soccer and football. What positions did you play? Yeah. So for soccer, I was a forward. I'm trying mm -hmm. to get those goals. And then for football, uh, this was intramural, more of a wide receiver, but going to play any position. So. Okay, so you you like the idea of like you like being the one that gets to score to gain the point, right? <laughs> Playing forward yeah. in soccer, wide receiver yep. in football. Exactly. All right. I love it. Excellent. So we are certainly going to talk about the work that you are up to uh, at Sendoso. But before we do that, we do like to get to know the person uh, behind the leader. And so we're going to start with a rapid fire round where you can give answers to uh, in one or two words. Um, are you ready for a rapid fire start? Bring it on. Good. All right. Excellent. First question is morning person or night owl? Uh, night owl. Okay. Uh, so what time is bedtime normally? Um, probably 1 a.m. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's certainly on the, the later side. Not one of those like 9 p.m. and you're, you're certainly yeah. going down. Um, I like it. Uh, Apple or Android? Apple. Okay. Introvert or extrovert? Uh, extrovert. Okay. Uh, when you were a kid, what did you want to grow up to become? Ooh, good question. Um, I'd say secretly an entrepreneur because I was, you know, selling mistletoe or doing little side hustles as a kid. But um, honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. It really was uh, something I figured out through high school and college. Okay, so you didn't quite know what. What do you mean selling mistletoe? What at Christmas time you would sell? That's my only context of mistletoe. It would be like selling mistletoe at Christmas or setting up lemonade stands or you know, uh, doing yard work at the neighbors or, uh, you know, watching their animals when they went out of town, things like that. Okay. I've heard of most of those things, right? Pet sitting, you maybe do and, um, chores or lemonade stand, but where does mistletoe come into? Like, I don't understand the selling process of this. Is this like you go up to couples that are like near each other and sell mistletoe so that they kiss or what? Uh, good context. So I live maybe, uh, uh, two minutes from a Christmas tree farm. 
And so for like the month of November and December, I would just set up a little, you know, table with a sign that said mistletoe five bucks. People would just stop and buy little bunches. And, you know, I wrapped up the dough. Oh, I love it. Was this in coordination with the Christmas tree shop or you're just like, listen, they've already got the audience foot traffic coming in. We're just going to take advantage of that. Exactly. More the latter. <laughs> uh, I love it. That is the entrepreneurial spirit really early on. I love it. Uh, what is a current favorite hobby? Uh, golf. Okay. How, how is your golf game? Uh, getting better. I think it's uh, a fun sport that you are never perfect at it. Um, mm -hmm. but I'd say I'm, uh, you know, about a 15 handicap and I play maybe every other week or every week if I can. Okay. I mean, the fact that you have a handicap and know it means you're already better than I am. I, I played golf early on and I've always had a beautiful looking swing, but it's never translated to hitting it well. That's what other people tell me. They're like, when I see you on the driving range taking practice swings, it looks good. But then you step up to the ball and it's, it's terrible. Do you have a good looking swing? Uh, I'd say I have a good looking swing and it actually goes the distance. So. Okay. All right. So yeah, certainly better, better than me. Uh, what is a, a TV series or book that you are currently watching or reading or recently finished? Um, recently finished uh, a TV series called, uh, what was it? Um, All American. Okay. Just a random uh, show about uh, some high schoolers playing football, ultimately. Okay. Just All right. I got recommended through Netflix. So the <laughs> engine got me. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive how well they actually do that. They're like, yep, we've seen enough of your history to know that you're you're going to love this. And yeah. you may not even tell your friends about it, but we know you yeah. better than they do. Uh, I love it. Who is uh, someone you admire? Um, You know, I admire some of these you know, amazing entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're kind of the trendsetters. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's some other, you know, CEOs like my previous one, Tiago uh, from PopDesk and some of the other ones I've worked with that I just admire how they've scaled their companies, which is a little bit more uh, in reach. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, Elon Musk is a little out of reach for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to become the richest person in the world, that's maybe a, a mindset to kind of follow. But yeah, we might uh, only one person can have that title at a time. So uh, I, I like it. So uh, last kind of get to know you question, which you can certainly answer in more than one word. But uh, I think a fascinating question that we're curious about uh, for different groups is what's the story of your name? Are you named after someone? Does it come from somewhere? Any story behind Chris Rudigrap? Uh, so the Chris part's pretty basic, but the Rudigrap I think is more unique. My mom's last name's Rudy and my dad's last name's Grop. And when they got married, they combined it into a new word. Um, no hyphen, just new word. So, um, you know, me and my two sisters uh, and my parents are the only ones minus one sister who's already got, it, uh, got married. So, uh, you know, the, the, the Rudy Grop legacy is small, but I'm, I'm going to carry it on. That's it. That is amazing. I love that as an idea. How did they, do you know how they decided on the spelling? Cause it's also not just like Rudy plus Grat like. So it just so happened that one of them had a double E and a double A and they just combined the name. So it was both, oh, okay. so, both their names before. Oh, wow. How that is fascinating. That's the first time I've heard of that 
that combination name. I don't think it would work with me and my wife because it would be way too many syllables long for our kids, but uh, I love it as a strategy. We might have to to explore that. I think it's fantastic. So, um, you know, we we talk, a lot of the listeners that we have on are entrepreneurs or, or at least have the entrepreneurial spirit. And so I am curious about, uh, you know, that entrepreneurial journey. And it sounds like it, it started pretty early for you with, like you said, mistletoe, lemonade stand, etc. So then going into school, was that the intent? Like, hey, I'm going to do a job for a little bit, but I know the end result is that I'm going to start my own company eventually. Or was it like, it was kind of a dream, you went this way, and then you happened to come back into it? Um, so I would say uh, in, in college specifically, I was really interested in entrepreneurship. Um, so much so that I started a couple uh, companies while in college. First one failed. The second one, we were actually through a university able to raise a little bit of funding from the Center for Entrepreneurship um, and took that into where I was able to exit uh, that company into a, and sell it into a company as I moved to San Francisco. Um, so I would say, you know, definitely really enjoyed the, the, the startup vibe and being from the Bay Area, uh, really got to see some of the, the dot com that I missed out on and you know, really saw that those astronomical growth numbers. And then um, after college and selling the company, though, I realized that I didn't know uh, enough, I think, to really mm -hmm. do it again. And so I really wanted to learn from other entrepreneurs while in the industry, while being at other startups, seeing how they're scaling their companies. So I spent about eight years in, in various sales roles, kind of learning while, you know, helping companies grow. And then ultimately looking for that next big pain point and big idea that I wanted to start my own company on. Yeah. Well, I, I love that recognition that, Hey, there's this, this skill set that I need a little bit more of. And rather than, you know, going back and getting an MBA or, um, you know, taking online classes or whatever, it was like, let me just get a job in that area. That's going to kind of force me to learn and maybe make some money and also network. So I love that as a, a mindset, it's, it's very much the, the Mark Cuban get paid to learn type thing. Exactly. And the network part is pretty huge too. You know, some of the uh, first hires at Sedosa were ex uh, colleagues at other companies. So, you know, that's an also a big takeaway. Besides learning, it's growing your network so that when you do, you know, recruiting and uh, is one of the, you know, most important parts of my job early on and still is. And so having a bigger network was helpful. Oh, that's, that's a great advice for people that are kind of thinking about that, that it's not, uh, it's not like, oh, this is a bad thing to go and get a job if you want to be an entrepreneur, but you can be strategic about it, that it's going to help you a little bit later. And so, you know, I know you've, you've shared in the past that uh, Sendoso kind of came from this idea, like you said, of it was a pain point that you were experiencing in sales yourself. And I think that can be a great, you know, source of inspiration for an idea. But how to walk us through a little bit, just how did that actually go from, I have this pain point myself to there should be a service that does this to I'm going to build that service and to I've built that service. Like what yeah. is kind of that initial flow? How long did that kind of process take? Yeah. So um, as well as at my last company talk desk that um, a couple of things happened. One is I was in sales. So I was an account executive. Um, I was mostly sending out emails as that was kind of the, the tool of choice that we had uh, access to. Um, and it was really becoming uh, more of a spammy outreach and I was getting less responses. And I really needed to diversify and get a little bit more creative uh, targeting some of these named accounts I was going after. So I started to do a little bit of, uh, you know, writing handwritten notes. I'd go to Starbucks and send out some Starbucks cards. Uh, we had a, a swag closet that I, you know, grab stuff from. Um, it was all super manual, but it was working. 
Um, also, marketing would try to do some direct mail campaigns, but it was really marketing saying, hey, fill out this uh, Google spreadsheet, copy and paste data in from Salesforce, and then we'll get to it. And it would you know, take three, four weeks at times. And so it was just like kind of a really broken process. And I really thought to myself, why can't I just click a button and send something? And so you know, ver uh, that was kind of the pain. I talked to a bunch of friends and other colleagues who said they would use a tool that allowed you to click and send other stuff out, like different gifts or you know mailers. And so my first step, though, was, hey, I don't know how to build logistics and infrastructure and warehouse supply chain stuff. So version one was ultimately a company called Coffee Sender, which was mm -hmm. just sending digital Starbucks cards through a button in Salesforce that had send coffee. And so that was kind of a, a V1 where I really understood if people would send other things, pay you know money to send uh, this and, and build it into their sales process. And you know over the course of maybe six-ish months, there was like uh, almost $300,000 in coffees being sent. And it was you know enough so that I was like, okay, this kind of validates my thinking a little bit more. Let mm -hmm. me, uh, you know, and I had a co-founder that came in and was really uh, another actually uh, account executive turned co-founder uh, that was super stoked on the concept and was really like, hey, let's turn this into something real. Um, and then we really did a little bit more brainstorming and said, hey, we need this physical component and let's launch Sendoso and went back to the drawing boards and then figured out the logistics infrastructure along with the software and you know spent about nine months working behind the scenes and then launched it. Wow. And so a couple of questions about that experience was, was coffee cinder. Did you intend that as like, this is going to be my, my MVP, my minimum viable product, or was this more of like, I'm just going to start here and it just happened to prove out that this was something uh, that would work. It was a, it was kind of a combination of both. I would say that, you know, you got to start somewhere and mm -hmm. you know, so it was like, Hey, let me just get something done. Um, and you know, at first it was a little bit of beer money trickling in, um, and then it was really just dawned on me that this, once it's kind of got traction, um, that there was something more to it than that. And then that's really where I was like, okay, this is a good version one. Let's really uh, double down on a, on a bigger picture. But I wasn't really trying to think about it too long-term. It was more just, can I solve a mini pain point and just like block and tackle versus like building a huge business plan and spending months planning? You know, day one, was just like, let me build this and figure it out and get users. Yeah, which I think is a, is a great mindset because it can sometimes feel overwhelming if you're like, nope, this was the whole thing. And I think sometimes, you know, entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs or people who are thinking about it, they're like, no, I have to have every plan part of it mapped out completely versus start small. Yeah. Start with that kind of evolution. And for so for you, when did you when did you make the decision to leave the, the the sales job at TalkDesk? When did you know like, okay, this is actually now worth me taking a step? Was it early on? Was it late in the process? Was it like, did you just have a moment where you flipped over table and stormed out? Was it more of a gradual thing? What was that part like? Well, it was really the the realization that, you know, Coffee Sender was validated and in order to build Sendoso, I needed to be full-time. I couldn't like, you know, Coffee Sender was nice because there was self-service, no infrastructure. It was really just a digital gift card. So it was really easy and something at like a night and weekend, a couple times a week, I could support it. Um, mm -hmm. Really, if I was going to make a big bet on myself and on Sedoso, I needed to spend, you know, as many hours as I could full time on this. And so, you know, really talked it over with my co-founder and the wife and just mm -hmm. decided, um, you know, to pull the plug and go for it. It was 
happened to be in sales too, transitioning from sales, to, uh, you know, it was really like, there's never a good time sometimes to leave sales because you always got a pipeline, you've always got the next deal. So it was really like a, the end of quarter cutoff. And I just said, this is my last quarter, um, told my boss and, you know, told the CEO and kind of the rest was history. Uh, my CEO was pretty receptive for it too. He's now an advisor and has been super helpful too. Um, so he kind of, uh, uh, it was nice to see his support um, for me wanting to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, well, and like you said, that's the value of partially building that that network, like that you had that support system when you did leave a that someone that could become an advisor or mentor or, or that kind of thing, which I think is is fantastic. And so uh, I, I did a similar thing when I left PNG to start my thing. It was like I ended at the end of the fiscal year. There's something nice about that kind of like cutoff versus like uh, you know just one random day I I left. And so I am curious, cause you mentioned like I needed to be able to put in those hours also managing kind of family and stuff. What was it like at the very beginning? Is it the like, you know, was it the story of, you know, 120 hour work weeks out of 168 uh, or was it more manageable at 80 or was it like, nope, I kept a, you know, at nine to five. What was that, you know, those early stages like in terms of that actual quote unquote work-life balance? Yeah. So I would say it was, uh, a little bit of the nine to five, although we had an engineering team over in Pakistan. So it was more of like a, you know, a nine, like a, maybe like an eight or nine to, to four or five. And then like a 11 to 1 a.m. Uh, yeah. 1 a.m. Because of the time zone difference. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it was not, you know, it was maybe 50 hours a week. Nothing like, a, you know, work an 80 hour mm -hmm. week. I still wanted to be uh, thoughtful of a, a good work-life balance. I didn't want to burn myself out. I wanted my wife to still feel like I was, you know, uh, being a part of, you know, the day-to-day -day of, you know, having dinner and things like that. And I think that some people will tend to vote on the, like, work 80 hours a week and you got to work really long. I was more of like, let me work really smart and then still make time to, you know, play golf or to uh, do, go on a trip and know that, you know, this is a marathon and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm four years into what hopefully will be a multi-decade marathon. And mm -hmm. if I was, if I got burnt out too early or the, or burned out my wife or my friends, like that could mm -hmm. be problematic. So really uh, that was my mindset at least. Well, and I think that's very refreshing because I do think that, you know, sometimes we, we read certain profiles or we, and again, we always see people's high, highlight reels. So it's easy to like, you know, just take them for whatever it is that they've said and not necessarily know what they actually do in those unseen hours. But to, to be able to say, no, this was a conscious choice that it doesn't have to be one of those things. You can still be successful without saying, oh, it's got to be every single waking moment to that point that it is something that you can sustain, you know, much, much longer. And so, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say there's, as an entrepreneur in the early stages, there's an infinite to-do list. And so mm -hmm. I think that can become overwhelming and give you anxiety or also, you know, maybe make bad choices of like scrambling to finish things because there's infinite things to do. So I think that it's a pretty strong ability to manage your tasks and to, you know, time block and, uh, you know, live a work-life balance. And um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs think slightly differently at times. So Yeah. Well, and I, I love that approach. And also, when I, I mean, it, it's a great segue because, uh, you know, so you're on uh, Forbes Executive Council. There's a recent uh, blog post that came out that you're quoted in on how to build a strong culture remotely. And, um, you know, one of the things that you said there around this idea of culture was um, using 
collaboration tools to still be able to stay connected, but also to maintain your, your culture by encouraging virtual traditions for your employees to participate in. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if you can give an example of what is a, a virtual tradition that you're kind of keeping up despite everything else going on. Yeah. So, I mean, there's things like, uh, we do these like, uh, virtual, like wine tasting and, you know, happy hours where we're sending out, people can have like the physical wine or booze. And then, so a lot of the things that we, we had fun with like the water cooler moments, the going to get drinks after work. We really tried to figure out how do we incorporate that into our, our remote culture during COVID. Um, so that was key. Um, you know, for me too, it was, you know, how do I, I have this, you know, ask Chris anything concept where I randomly get connected to like five or 10 different employees every week for just, uh, you know, no, no agenda, random conversation. Sometimes we're talking about, you know, dogs and golf. Sometimes it's talking about, you know, a, an interesting innovation idea, but mm -hmm. I think that also uh, purposefully spurs that like spontaneous conversation that you get in the office that maybe remotely at your house you don't get. Um, and then we also have, have been really cognizant about trying to purposely build these little kind of tiger teams to really keep that cross-departmental collaboration going, which mm -hmm. might have been uh, more uh, accessible in the office. Um, remotely, sometimes you get stuck in doing your own thing. And so just kind of, uh, not forcing, but just make sure that we think about some of these things that we get in the office uh, and doing them uh, remotely. Yeah, well, and I I love the intentionality behind that, and I think you know that's certainly one of the things that we we receive. So, Humor That Works company that I run, we teach organizations how to use humor to be more effective, and I think it's a big thing that people have recognized. In person, they maybe had some of this happen anyway, like you said, the hallway conversations or the you know spontaneous chats that happen because you pass uh, in the lunchroom or whatever, but you don't have those moments in a virtual area. It's so easy to just be on for the Zoom call or WebEx or Google Meet or whatever, just for that time. So to be able to like, no, we're gonna take a dedicated time to, to focus on. I, I love that intention piece. And so, you know, kind of along those lines, certainly around your work-life balance and other things, uh, would you say that you enjoy what you do or that you love what you do? Absolutely. I love it better than anything. <laughs> this is the best yeah. I could ever ask for. <laughs> Oh, which is amazing. And, and so I'm curious, do you think that that's an important, do you, do you wish that for your employees? Do you think that that is a requirement in terms of the people who work for you, that there's, there's some type of benefit to enjoying what you do at work? hundred percent. I think you've got to be passionate about what you do. Otherwise you've got to do something else. Life's too short to like hate your job. Um, and so we're, uh, you know, we do a lot of performance reviews or, you know, one-on-ones just to really make sure employees are loving what they're doing. And We've also done a, a good amount of cross-departmental movement where, you know, maybe mm. a, a strong customer support person is now one of our top product managers. Um, and, you know, one of our SDRs is now on our, our partnerships team. So, you know, I think that while some people might have an, uh, an idea of what they want to do, um, if they're a really smart and strong and great work um, worker, then we can really help them with their career progression too. But um, yeah, I think that, really loving what you do and, and loving your boss and the team around you um, not, not only makes you more productive, but makes it easier for you to just like have a good life and, uh, you know, balance your work and life so that you don't feel like you're working. You know, I've never, I've never had like the, whatever the Sunday scaries or the Monday scaries or whatever those are called. Um, I like sometimes look forward more or less to, to Sunday night to where I can get up and work with my team on Monday. So. 
Yeah, I mean, to work in a job where you don't have a feeling of this case of the Mondays, I think, is is the ideal. And what's crazy to me is just how few people realize that that is a possibility. Mm-hmm. There's so often people are surprised. They get to an organization, I imagine, like Sendoso, if they've maybe been at other places, and they're like, wait, I didn't know I could look forward to working with my team, uh, which I think is exciting. And my background is in computer science and engineering, so I've always, like, there's that balance of, like, well, of course people should enjoy what they do, but, like, do they actually have to? And so it is an interesting question, but I love that that response and that dedication to it, like you said, of of finding what's going to be of value or of interest to to people and making sure that they're enjoying enjoying their work. And so, what's something for you that like gets you geeked or excited about the workday, or something when you know when this happens in the office or virtual office in this setting that you're like, yes, like high five. I mean, besides getting the uh, the closed one deal alerts when new customers get signed on or new customers renew or expand, I mean, that's probably the number one adrenaline for me. I think that goes back to my sales roots. But, you know, we've got a uh, shout outs channel on Slack that we've had since kind of day one. And I love seeing kind of the, the peer-to-peer recognition or just seeing someone get recognized for something I had no idea what they did or could be small, could be huge. But, um, you know, I, I love seeing the peer-to-peer recognition. And outside of that, I think I still work uh, across a, almost all the different teams, meeting with tons of different people. And I'm still just jazzed about, um, you know, my meetings and meeting and talking to the team of what they're, what they're building or what they're selling or, or what they're solving and, and all the different things in between. Oh, yeah, that is, that's great. And you touched on, like, recognition piece, I think, is so key. It's oftentimes the thing that, uh, people feel is missing in their workplace. So what a great call out for early entrepreneurs or people who are just now starting to build that team. How how it doesn't even have to be something big and grandiose, but something like a Slack channel dedicated to that, to shout outs and stuff can be a great way to to great that that recognition. So I love that as as an idea. Um, I'm curious about the flip side though. Do you have any like work pet peeves? Anything that like, ah, this drives me crazy? Um I mean, one of them that comes up here and there are people that schedule over my meetings, like uh, probably once or twice a week. I have a, it's like, you know, you can look at my calendar, like, you know, schedule in between. So I, I hate when people schedule over and I'm curious if they did that on purpose or if they just weren't looking. Um, so that's probably my, one of my pet peeves. But honestly, I, I don't think I'm a pet peeve type of personality. So not too many things annoy me, but that one kind of irks me because then I've got to figure out what to do and it puts it in a weird spot. Right. Yeah. Then you have to make that choice. And to your point, it's like there in the system. Why did not, you know, like this, you saw this like happening. It's not a surprise. Uh, so I'm on board with that. I think it's okay to, um, to have that for sure. Um, I, my, my pet peeve is, I don't know why this is a case, but I'm annoyed by people who are reaching out to me who want to meet with me and then they send me their calendar link. Hmm. Like they're like, oh, you know, click on this calendar to choose a time for, and it's like, listen, I'm happy to meet with you, but shouldn't you be the one that's like doing the work to like find yeah. a time that works for us? Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm a less nice of a person than, than you are, but I love it. Um, and and so it seems like you're a pretty positive person, um, at least from our, our conversation. So I'm curious, do you read the reviews of Sendosa? Do you go on to G2 or other places and kind of check in on what, what people are saying? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, both from a G2 perspective of what our customers are saying. Um, I've also last year met with about 140 of our customers through a virtual roadshow, which was, uh, 
you know, a lot more than the previous year, which was all in person and it was maybe a couple dozen. So the vir that was a benefit of virtual is that I could meet way more customers. Um, so getting a little bit more in the weeds about uh, maybe some feedback and then I could dive in deeper in person. Uh, but I think, you know, customer feedback is uh, critical, you know, at any stage of your company to continue to drive your roadmap, to continue to ensure your, your, your platform success. So um, I am a big believer in G2. Um, and, and Trust Radius, uh, another similar feedback site, uh, meeting customers as much as I can. Um, I've got a, an advisory group too of, of customers that I even spend more time with, um, as well as some non-customers. So I get another uh, perspective maybe of someone who's not using our platform, but still might be a CMO or a, a VP. Um, and then the other obvious one is just Glassdoor and, and really caring about employee uh, reviews or um, using Lattice to look at, um, you know, uh, peer-to-peer -peer or one-on-one -on -one feedback and, and reviews of managers. So I think re reviews across the board. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. You're like, yeah, give it give it to me all. Like, I I don't know, I have a love-hate with it because I, I have a TEDx talk that's done, that's done relatively well, but because of that, it's on YouTube with a bunch of comments. And it's, I, I'm so I'm curious, my question is gonna be like, how you handle this? Because some of the comments are very positive. Some of them are, just like this dude's not funny at all. And so like, how do you, so I'm, I'm gonna actually put you to the test because yeah. we'll sometimes do a segment here of uh, basically instead of reading mean tweets, we read mean reviews to you. Yeah. Um, so this is a review, to be fair, it's from uh, three years ago, almost three years ago. This mm -hmm. is on G2. It's one of the very few one ratings, uh, one star ratings. There's not many at all, it's hard to find. But the review, among other things, it says the primary thing that their primary complaint is, no benefits over ordering off amazon.com myself and sending via FedEx slash UPS. How do you feel when someone's just kind of like, there's no benefit to this, I could do this all on Amazon? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they, that we did a disservice to them. You know, we should have provided more value and where did we drop the ball? And was it, you know, uh, they, they weren't educated about how to use our product and it was an enablement uh, um, opportunity whether uh, was it something related to our customer support and customer success team where they just didn't get the service levels they desired? Was it truly something that was operational and logistics focused and maybe it was an actual issue or, or maybe it was a bug, who knows? But regardless across the board, I think anything like, like that, uh, for example, I'm sure we followed up with um, mm -hmm. three years ago, I don't remember the exact details, but um, I could have maybe followed up personally. I like to do that a lot too with low reviews so that I can, um, at least try to put my best foot forward. Maybe mm -hmm. the, you know the 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 trust is lost, and so be it. But at least we're leaving on a good foot and showing that we care. So mm. I love it. I, I part, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Part of me was hoping like, well, that just that person's just an idiot. But no, <laughs> that's 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 the reason why you're a successful business owner and that you've created this right. That you're using that as as you know, in some ways, it's it's data. That type of feedback is data to say in this particular instance. Um, you know, we didn't meet all those needs. So what can we learn from it? So I love that as, We've got as an approach. We've got sophisticated buyers too, which I think are providing, you know, in a B2B environment, uh, you know, positive or negative feedback with the limelight that it took them effort. You know, mm -hmm. I, I do think in some like consumer B2C scenarios, you just get those negative trolls coming on and just, yes. you know, talking smack for, for no reason. 
Um, but we don't really have uh, we don't have any like trolling like that. That's problematic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like. So it's not quite that same level. Say like a YouTube comment or you know yeah. someone you know talking back to someone in a restaurant or whatever. I feel like people are awful up to servers for some reason. All the negative Yelp reviews sometimes blow my mind. Yeah. Uh, so I you know one of the things I want to chat a little bit about is is uh, you all have adapted pretty well to a virtual environment. In fact, I love your tagline on the site, make virtual more personal. Um, and so starting to think about, you know, certainly for many people, 2020 was just more of a like, let's just get through it. As you start to think about 2021, I'm curious where your head is at. And so for you, what does, as a SaaS company, what does high growth SaaS look like to you in 2021? Yeah, so I mean, for us, it looked very similar to high growth SaaS in 2020, where we had a you know 100% year over year growth. We were you know maybe a bit more agile in terms of, of planning, both from a product and R and D standpoint, and like our marketing execution when COVID hit. Uh, but I still think we you know it, it's really how do you continue to double down on the R and D while the infrastructure and operations support the growth, and then how is your your sales and marketing and, and go to market engine um, just continuing to, to expand and, and where is the growth levers and where is the, you know, the, the hiring and recruiting to support all of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, aside from being in the office or out of the office, I'd, I'd say we, um, not, not much has changed in terms of what we wanted to accomplish last year. Um, I'm very happy with the results from the team. They hustled and worked hard through the hard times. And we'll see that again this year as we, uh, have some phenomenal growth projections. Uh, I love it. And and so that that process, I'm curious, how, how does it work for you personally? Is it like, hey, I'm going to take a bunch of inputs to make those types of strategy decisions? Is it like, I'm going to, you know, I, I hired smart people, so I delegate that out kind of to them and I just kind of make sure everyone's on board as the kind of like person helping to really steer that ship. How does that, how do, how do you help to make those types of decisions? Yeah. So now that we're 300 plus uh, employees, you know, the process has obviously changed drastically from years ago. I think last year we added a, maybe 200 ish um, employees. So it was a big growth year. Um, you know, back when we were 50 people, it was quite different, but now I have a really strong, uh, you know, C-level exec team and VPs and directors and managers uh, throughout. So, you know, typically we do like an annual pro uh, planning process. We did that in uh, December of going into 2021 where we looked at, you know, what were kind of the, the key themes that we wanted to focus on and what were the initiatives. Mm -hmm. I put some OKRs in place um, that were kind of company-wide and then how do the different departments underneath them support those with their own initiatives. Mm -hmm. And then how do um, really I allow these executives that I hired that are smarter than me in, the, in their domains to, you know, be, uh, run their own destinies and plan out their strategy for their orgs and their teams and then, you know, my goal is really the conduit. Can I, um, you know, sprinkle some of my vision? Can I, you know, help with collaboration? Can I share some ideas? But it's really, how do we glue that all together and build a plan and then run with it? Um, and that was really, you know, our, our plan going into 2020 when, you know, Feb, March hit with COVID, we had to scramble and really do that planning again and, what, and really plan like for the, the weeks and months to come versus the whole year um, and kind of, rejig how we think about things uh but it was a similar process just shorter time frames and like you know best worst case scenario planning to then drive the outcome uh especially when you're in rapid growth there's a big headcount um associated with it 
if you're not hitting your top line, then some of the uh, headcount coming in can start to be costly. So you've got to be cognizant that the recruiting engine is aligned with the, you know, the go-to-market engine and then the operations thereforth. So um, a lot of moving parts, but, you know, long story short, I've got an amazing smart team that takes care of, you know, most of all of this. And, and I'm there to just kind of um, add in where I see fit and help with the vision and, and help with the, the blocking and tackling. Yeah, which I think is, is a great articulation of that value of that that vision piece and also knowing when to get out of the way yes. piece as as well. And like you said, I imagine part of that is also the cultural component, right? And in high growth companies, that's a big thing that is it's a thing that changes can change very quickly is like we were that start small, small kind of scrappy feel. And now we're at 300 people. What is the actual culture? And are we being intentional about what it is? So I love that as a, as an approach. So with smart people helping to take care of uh, some additional things that you're giving some insight on, you know, as of where we're at in 2021, what's, you know, of the cliche question, what's keeping you up at night? What's the challenge that you're kind of like really spending a lot of headspace on? Yeah. So, you know, ultimately uh, people is kind of my biggest uh, area of focus. I think whether it's how do we make sure our recruiting team and, and me being a part of that team is bringing on the, the best of the best talent and in a way that can continue um, to scale up um, so that we can hit our aggressive goals? Um, and how do we maintain that talent and um, create a fun culture that we talked about earlier on? And so that's, I think, one of the big parts of being a CEO is just the people portion of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say that's more or less what I would say if there's anything keeping me up is just making sure we continue there. But I'd go back to like my work-life balance and I try to leave work at work when I, when I sign off on the computer, at, you know, five or 6 PM or whenever I do, then I'm hanging out with my wife and I'm watching Netflix and I'm going on a walk with my dog. I'm not, you know, I'm not staying up late thinking about things in bed. I purposefully don't think about work and think about, you know, my family and, you know, my friends and other things and leave work time to work time. Yeah. Which is, which is great. Cause I, there's the, um, uh, I think it's called Parkinson's law where work expands to the amount of time lauded for it. And so in that sense that you're giving this kind of hard cap, it makes it, like you said, you didn't become more strategic with your time and your focus as you, as you go through. And so I am curious because one of the uh, other segments that we like to do on the show is, um, ask about your morning routine. So, right. You, what, how do you start your day? What's your more morning routine in like 60 seconds or less? Yeah, I would say I, uh, take about a uh, 30 second cold shower <laughs> and yeah. uh, sometimes shorter. Um, mm -hmm. And then I will have some coffee, some vitamins, and uh, typically either my wife will make me an omelet or some uh, overnight oats or some kind of uh, breakfast item. And then I will do a little bit of reading on Feedly of like about a 200 different blogs I subscribe to just to generally hear random topics. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, go to work. Um, and things will change if it's summertime, try to squeeze in a walk with my dog in the morning if it's sunny out. Um, so I'd squeeze that in. And then a couple of days of the week, um, I'll squeeze in like a Peloton ride in the morning, um, or maybe a run. Um, if I have time, um, otherwise I'll plan for that at the end of the day. Yeah. I love it. And so what is what you so you like to start with just something tough right away of like a 30 second cold shower? Is this the Wim Hof method or something like that? Like, is that what it is? I, I felt like it was really just uh, the shower was more of a routine to like wake me up. And, mm -hmm. you know, a warm shower was kind of doing the opposite of like feeling relaxing and not waking me up. 
And so the cold shower just like did the did the job better. Um, also didn't have to wait for the water to get super hot and warm. It's just like instant and I'm good to go. And then I also have no excuse for taking like, you know, 15 minute showers and being late for anything. It's like, you know, you can't stay in that cold shower for longer than a minute. Otherwise you're freezing. So uh, I don't know. I started doing it maybe a, a year ago, six months ago, and just have loved it since. So. All right. I, I love it. Well, you know, as as an engineer, I'm like, wow, because I'm hearing it from a few more people. Like, it's not the first time I've heard it. You're the first person that I've heard is like, that's the first thing I wake up and do. <laughs> um, so but uh, I'm like, hey, man, I'm gonna have to try it and see. I'll let you know the result. I'm, I imagine I'm probably you know what? In fact, I'm probably gonna curse your name <laughs> when I try and be like, this is his fault. Um, but I'll let you know how it goes. Well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, joining us for the conversation. Love hearing both perspectives in terms of who you are as a human, the golf side, the um, scoring touchdowns and scoring soccer goals back in university days. Uh, also to the uh, the leadership vision and perspective of growing a big company, uh, a larger company in, uh, in what is particularly challenging times for a lot of people, but uh, doing very well with Sendoso. So thank you so much for joining us on the Ascent Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrew. I had a great time. Thank you. Well, uh, so uh, shout out again. Uh, thanks to Chris. This has been another episode of the Ascent Podcast brought to you by the Ascent Conference, which you can learn more about at ascentconf.com, as well as by Humor That Works, uh, where we help organizations learn how to use humor to be more effective in things like employee engagement, stress management, and beyond. You can learn more about that at Humor That Works. Dot com. Uh, we've got a number of great other uh, sessions and podcasts lined up, so you're not going to want to miss those. If you are listening in the podcast app, make sure that you subscribe and go ahead and rate as well. Drop some five stars on Chris's wonderful interview right there. You all have been great. I've been Andrew Tarvin, and until next time.